The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. From Cleveland, I'm Craig James, and this is Big Audacious Idea, the show about thinking big. We investigate the greatest questions of life and ponder the future. We also endeavor to foster abundant thinking during times of uncertainty. Welcome to the show. Airports are special in that they're a node, a central business node, and that has value. Airports are unique in that they have an institutional presence. Yet the very core of an airport is about transportation. The implications are not just local, but international and global. What if we could build a community around an airport precisely because an airport brings special things to a community? Well, we can. My guest today is Dr. Stuart Mendel, and we'll be talking about the concept of an aerotropolis. On this episode of Big Audacious Idea, we're discussing a very different idea of how we live, work, and play, and create new lifestyle communities. So why listen to Dr. Mendel? Well, he's an institutional guy who's well-rounded in nonprofit and projects of this ilk. Stewart shared a bit about himself, and then we launched into the discussion about the very concept of an aerotropolis, and here in Northeast Ohio, known as the Aerozone Alliance. So to start things off, sure, I gave you a quick one-two on you, Stewart, but there's some other things you'd like to share with us about you, and what might those things be, and what's on your plate these days? Well, thank you, Craig. So to start things off, I think, tell you just a tad about my background. I have a PhD in social policy history from Case Western Reserve University and a Master of Nonprofit Organizations, also from Case. And my background is focused on nonprofit sector studies. So part of that involves organizing institutions and developing boards, raising money, all the things that would be associated with an organization. And toward that end, I uh, have a number of projects that I work on. In addition to being the executive director for the Aerozone Alliance, I'm also the executive director of something called the National Center on Nonprofit Enterprise, whose purpose is to serve as a clearinghouse for information. Kind of like this podcast, but also scholarly outputs from academics who write on economic issues for nonprofit organizations how to fund them, how they should be structured, best practices. And there's a website, nationalcne.org. If your listeners are interested, I'd be thrilled if they could check it out. Maybe they'll become a member because that's how we're sustaining that organization through mm. their memberships. So you've got a lot on your plate for sure, and you are and have been involved in so many things. And the Aerozone Alliance is a, a vision, a vision that is about the concept of an aerotropolis, to my understanding. And so before we get uh, perhaps too much into Northeast Ohio and what might be going on here, share with us a little bit about the, the history of the idea itself of an aerotropolis. Like, what is this thing and why do we care? Well, that's a great question. I'm going to refer to exact definition because it's a little tricky. So this definition was first depicted by 
Don Casarda, who's a professor at the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill, and his expertise is airports and urban areas. And he defined the Aerotropolis as an aviation-linked urban form consisting of an airport surrounded by tens of thousands of acres of light industrial space, office space, upscale retail, business class, hotels, restaurants. In other words, a big community, a lifestyle community. And he views airports as being similar to metropolitan central business districts with airports serving as the central business node. And then there's much more to the scholarship, but he coined that definition probably 10 years ago, maybe a little longer. And the concept is a powerful one for those interested in organizing a community around economic development. You know, you have this big asset, why not maximize it? So just to make sure I get this straight, because you listed a lot of things that are in a community or in a place. But what I'm hearing is, is that the the linchpin, the core of this concept is an airport being at the center and spawning and catalyzing other things. Is that correct? So, yes. So it's both the aspect of an airport as an institutional presence. You know, it's a big, big operation, but also the transportation aspects of it, too. And those are both through the air, but also on the ground and, and also on the water for airports that are near big bodies of water. Let's step back even further, if you would go down this journey for me uh, to sort of set the stage. Like, what are the things philosophically do societies and communities need? You know, what makes a place great? Right. Well, you, you hear this a lot, both anecdotally when you're just talking to you know people at the water cooler, if, if we're still doing that anymore but also in the scholarly discourse, which is connectivity. And it's all the forms of connectivity. That is not a linear concept. It's a three-dimensional one. So there's getting places, then there's being places, and then there's communicating during the process of doing both. And so when we think of connectivity being multifaceted, and some I did a little bit of research on this because I was curious. And what's interesting about this is that there's a international and a local component. I read something akin to fully integrated airport city built from scratch with international connectivity at its core. So tell us more about that. Like I picture this physical place, let's say here in Northeast Ohio, it's so many square miles, but then there's this whole global international aspect. How how do we connect the dots there? Right. So I'm going to oversimplify it to make it clear. So the models for this right now in the U.S., are Denver Airport, which was built from scratch on what we would call green space, and Atlanta, which is grown organically. And both of those have to do with connectivity and transport of goods and people. And the concepts were, well, if we're going to start from scratch and create something new, how, how can it sustain itself? And how can there be a cascade of development that continues? So those are part of the planning assumptions in those places as they were first, in Denver's case, first developed, and then in Atlanta's as it's grown over the years. Then there are other models too. There was a study that Cleveland State did in 2010, which is where I read that quote about Dr. Casada, where they studied maybe uh, 14 or so large airports and then maybe seven mid-market ones. And the concepts are, you start with the basic premise of how to advance the region. 
you look at your airport as an economic development asset and what are the nodes of business activity that you can concentrate around them. Typically, it's things that support the airport. So what's interesting about this conversation and this time of history, and uh, the show's timeless, so no matter if one's listening to this amidst the, the middle of the pandemic or crossing f- fingers that when someone's listening to this, we're past the pandemic, I think we won't be past some changes in terms of how humans connect and transport and interact. I read an article, I think, uh, recently that said like 7% of the workforce worked remote prior to the pandemic, and now some 60% are doing so. And there's a sustained anticipation that will continue. So that's affecting travel and transport and shipping and lots of things. I've got to imagine you're thinking about that, have been thinking about, okay, what's different about this concept or is it staying the same? It doesn't matter. Well, it's a very good point. And one of the considerations that I think has moved up on the priority list for these developments is the speed of connectivity. So how do you get from one place to another physically? And how does your communication get there in in a reliable way? So in addition to things like going between airports or going to a geography, there's also high quality of Wi-Fi and technology and interactivity. And the same thinking is going on right now in terms of property development and business-oriented buildings. So I think the consensus is that there will always be a need for like a central office, but how many people need to be in it is the real question point. That I think affects this concept of Eritropolis too. I mean, this is going to be some watershed thinking that's got to go on and that is going on. I'm hoping this show is one of those places where it goes on. Thank you. And and Stuart, it is. That's the whole idea behind Big Audacious Idea is to explore, expand, to think abundantly, even if we're in times of uncertainty. So the vision and the passion for abundant thinking uh, is, is key to what we discuss here. And so if we were to imagine for a moment, pandemic or not, what the outcomes are, like the back to the the, the two-year-old's why question. You know, why do we do this thing? Is it because we want a different quality of life? We want seamless connection and transportation? Are we trying to commercialize more? Is it about economic development? Help me get the desired outcome of of this concept. In a short, short description, I think we have to adopt this notion collectively that we want to advance. And the reason to advance is because quality of life will improve change is now part of the lexicon and the social change is part of uh, the, the discourse and the popular press. There's certainly a lot of political actors that are talking about social change and change is, is to my mind, an advancement. So if one wants to have more resources, have faster communications, be better, or at least achieve better conditions for everyone, we have to tackle these issues about how you pay for an aerotropolis, First, having the idea that it's a good idea, and then maybe getting the systems for funding such things to goose them a bit so that rather than it being a liability, it's creating a big idea as an asset and a desirable outcome rather than something to pay for and be limited by existing resources. It's easy to say that. I know that. And so often with, with development projects or new concepts, quite often we look at it as an add on, an additive, a plus. 
And in some cases, it might be perceived as an instead of. Right. right. We could do this, but let's do this instead. Right. Is the idea of an Aerotropolis more additive, icing on cake? Or is it, if I might use the term, competing with other concepts or alternatives? My guess is that it's more the second rather than the first. I, I think most public sector funding sources, which generally stimulate these ideas, these big infrastructure ideas, their position is defensive initially. It's, this is what we can afford. Here's our seed corn. We can't exceed it. And then, at least my experience has been that the idea is good enough and it attracts public and private sector interests. There's generally a way the money becomes less important. I mean, it's important from a standpoint of accountability and progress to measure whether or not you've actually achieved what you said, but it, it becomes less of a limit for advancing. And I think that's the concept really to emphasize. It's how do we advance? How do we advance our behaviors? How do we advance our wealth, the distribution of wealth, all those things. With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy on, easy off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. You know, one of the things that strikes me as I listen to the concept and the approach to it is uh, it seems that the notion of an aerotropolis or the Arizona Alliance here in Ohio is a byproduct. As a matter of fact, I changed the language here. It's essential that it embodies public, private, multidisciplinary collaboration. As a friend of mine used to say, it takes the .edus and the .coms and the .govs and the .orgs, uh, all figuring out to how to work together on something in a collective sense. So one could argue that this concept not only produces a, a positive outcome and benefit for progress, it sounds like it's an exercise in juggling a lot of plates, a lot of people, and a lot of institutions. Correct me if I'm wrong on that, but boy, that sounds like a little bit of a herding cats challenge. Yeah, you, you hit the target right in the middle here. So I've come to think of this, and it's taken a while for me to get to this point, but I've come to think about the institutions that exist, the public ones, the private ones, and the nonprofit ones, as really kind of like fence posts. If you've ever had to create a fence, <laughs> it's a lot of work, but you have to start by digging a hole, a narrow hole, and you plant that post deep, but it's just a post. It's not connected to any posts. And when you have a bunch of other posts next to each other, they are what they are. They're, they have missions and purposes. They're focused. They're siloed. That's their purpose. And it's up to the organizations like mine, like the Aerozone Alliance, to kind of create the netting between the two posts. And that's a lot of work and nobody likes to pay for that. So we have to be inventive on how we get our resources to do that. And, and it's really what you've described. So using an aerotropolis concept as a starting point, a lot of forces have to line up. And part of that is information, quick information, accurate information, but also the conditions for it have to be right. And uh, that's work that's quiet. It's behind the scenes. It's enlightened. You know, it is enlightened work. But it's not everyone's province. There's no one's job description that says, oh, you need to put these three economic development agencies together and persuade them to work. 
by the way, the government has to form a public-private partnership, which itself is this complicated thing that weaving the fabric between those fence posts, and it is fabric, it can't be a fixed, impermeable thing. It's got to be flexible, adaptable. Especially today, right? These days, uh, the notion of planning is it's not obsolete, but it's certainly changing. And I think the the virtues of uh, adaptability, agility, flexibility are certainly taking front seat. It's interesting, Stuart. So we, I'm, I'm hearing that in order for this to be working, and I love the metaphor of the fabric, there's a certain circumstance or situation necessary. There's certain information, data-driven, um, and then just some plain hard work. You've piqued my curiosity with those three pillars. If you were to wrap a bow around those three things, sort of at a human or leadership level, I'm trying to imagine like how you orchestrate the human effect of this and rally a picture that everyone can see and be willing to connect their post to another post with fabric in between. What are some of the techniques that you or your team use to create that kind of collaborative energy? So this is what's funny. You're, you're talking to the right guy. I just finished writing a book on nonprofit sector partnerships. And we interviewed 52 executive directors and asked them about what they understood partnership to be. And that was between their organization, nonprofit and business, their organization and government, and their organization and, and another nonprofit. And would you believe there are differences? <laughs> No, I no, I can't. There are that. many takeaways. In <laughs> fact, uh, maybe we do a podcast about the book. But basically, the idea is all the soft skills that we learned growing up, and maybe in the more enlightened MBA programs or nonprofit education programs, have to do with generating partnership. You develop trust, reciprocity, um, consistency, accountability. All the all the words that you'd be familiar with that we take for granted that actually have meaning. And these 52 executives have basically said they learn as they go along, they get better at partnership. Their focus changes as they gain experience. And the ones that work and are most satisfying tend to be the ones where there is that sense of reciprocity, where they're contributing and, and many of them feel above and beyond, but they're also getting back that value. So that's another one of those things that we expect to occur, but to stimulate it requires deliberate effort, resources. You know, someone has to pay for that because it's expensive. That's why you're busy forming a partnership. You're not focused on the work of your organization. Mm -hmm. And those principles apply to a complex endeavor like developing an aerotropolis. So the first thing is someone has to have a good idea and there is a market for good ideas. Then there must be, and you know, I hate to say absolutely, but you know, this is kind of the magic sauce. There has to be somebody that, that's a champion of it with the authority and standing in the community to bring others along. So that aspect of leadership, if it's not present, if you can't look to a person or people or institution that is the leader, it's unlikely these concepts will take root. So if you can imagine what it's like to plan an airport in Denver and all the 10,000 teeny decisions that get made and somehow add up to this you know, edifice <laughs> that generates income for the region, um, then you can appreciate why you, know, that you have to have stakeholders and leader, strong leadership and dedicated visions and mm. all the things we talk about when we talk about big endeavors. So big ideas, big endeavors, big commitment to leadership and collaboration and communication and 
and all the terms we like to use that sometimes sound fluffy, unfortunately, because we use them so much, but they lose their meaning at times. An endeavor like this clearly, truly needs that. Now, this show is not meant to be big, audacious problem. <laughs> so <laughs> so I, I put this out here gingerly and carefully with respect, but I can only imagine that there are some folks, you know, I'm trying to get by, the economy's changed. I, I live on Smith Road in the middle of this maybe Aerotropolis thing. I, I, I don't get it. It doesn't relate to me. Sounds sort of ivory tower, uh, big picture, cool, long-term, but doesn't relate to me today. And gosh, I'm going to lose my house. I'm going to lose my green space. What are some of the challenges that you might be encountering when we take a big swath of geography and reconfigure it? This is a universal problem. It's not just economic development, it's social, cultural, it's the retail politics aspect of this. And you know, part of the Eurozone is designed to represent the five cities that come together around the airport in Cleveland, and also the other stakeholders, which include NASA Glenn Research Center and the state of Ohio, and you know, I go on and on. But I have gained so much respect for the local mayors here who are very close to the residents. In fact, if you think about it, one of the reasons to have all these little cities or smaller cities is to have access to your government. And the fact that these mayors are so well-tuned and they have considerable power. I think the challenge that people in intermediary organizations have, like I'm doing, is to articulate the problem in a way that they can take action and offer suggestions not mandated. I mean, the the fact that each one of these local municipalities is staring at its own calculus. I don't know if you've taken calculus, you know what that's like. Right? I have, but I try to forget. You, you never quite get to the answer. <laughs> you get it? <laughs> right. So they are the experts in that. And, you know, syncing up with their interests and helping them is part of an aggregate. That's the way I believe that you achieve the big concepts, the aerotropolis concepts. And that, again, that's painstaking work and takes a long time. And the outcomes are never set. You may make a phone call on someone's behalf or advocate a particular public policy on their behalf, try to connect the ends of the rope, and it, it may not develop the outcome you expected, or it may, but that'll be a decade later. I think about uh, one of our guests, Colonel Michael Good, former astronaut, retired astronaut. We had a chat uh, with him and it was literally in the clouds and beyond. We were talking about space and space exploration. And you know, one of the discussion points was, how does this relate to everyday life or the guy or the gal on Smith Road? And he illuminated for us how you want to order Uber Eats, you need a constellation of satellites to do that. So space relates to Smith Road. And and so I'm sort of re-asking a question, not only the municipalities and the mayors, but the, the guy or gal on, on whatever street. Help me see how they might see this relating to them. Using the access points to the communities through the mayors, I think, is providing them with the, the opportunities, you know, the information, arming them to talk to their constituents and their residents. Uh, so you were speaking of the citizen and their connection to their municipalities, and this creates an engine for that connection and conversation. Got it. And one last question here that I think was interesting in some of the research that I did before uh, this great opportunity to chat with you is we love to go toward the unexpected of cause and effect, things you wouldn't think come out of something. I found that there were some technologies, some commercializations from 
biology to robotics to our endeavors to go to Mars. And so when we think of economic development and development in general, we don't think of Mars necessarily. So tell us about some of those collateral benefits that might come out of something like this. Right. So this is what's so cool about having a NASA plan in our backyard and trying to transfer that technology that they are producing for their mission to Mars to real business applications. One of the reasons to do that is because businesses might pop up. You know, we might have entrepreneurs and innovators say, oh, there's actually a business product here. So one of the concepts that our jaws will drop open, they're going to Mars. There are no resources on Mars, and yet everything that they need will have to be taken from Mars. So how do you generate electricity? Well, uh, motion is kind of the most popular answer, but there's been a study done in some science around using the sweat of an astronaut to power a watch. Wow. Right. Or and using metabolic processes or brain waves to generate electricity and create renewable energy. One of the interesting things that just captured my imagination was that a local company here, I think um, Odie, Odie Company, Odie Corporation, it's a hundred year old firm in Cleveland, plumbing supplies manufacturer. They had a plumbing problem or a challenge and they approached some of the NASA scientists who were studying non-gravity plumbing, hmm. right? And they came up with a new manufacturing technique and piece, which the company can take to market and use as one of its products. Another one that comes to mind is, you know, innovations in de-icing because in space, pretty cold. Pretty cold. <laughs> right. It's pretty, pretty cold. And when you go into Mars, they do have an atmosphere on Mars. There is one. So there is such things as condensation, which freezes. And well, then what do you do about that? because that'll affect the flight patterns. And this is way beyond my salary grade. I don't know what I'm talking about with the technology. <laughs> but, but no, I think the Martians did put an atmosphere <laughs> up there. I understand. It was a collaborative effort. It was a public-private partnership. Well, there, there you Mars. go. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe they understand it and can share it all with us. But I guess that's the point. So these things tend to stimulate, create, you know, other creative counters, which is, is there a business opportunity? And then can places like Cleveland benefit from that? And I think, of course, the answer is, well, yes, they can, but there must be an infrastructure hmm. to do that and a system. And we we are trying to develop that system. You remind us of another one of our guests, Philip Auerswald, who wrote The Code Economy. And, and his book is all about systems and platforms on platforms and humans building an ecosystem for progress. And it sounds like the Aerotropolis is one of those potential systems upon systems that we can employ for the future. We love at this time of the show to always ask our guests what it would be they would ask of our listeners to think or do a challenge of sorts. If you were to issue a challenge to our uh, listeners, what would that be? I encourage people to start small businesses. I mean, I mean, it's a high bar. It takes a lot of work and there's got to be a need, but we benefit collectively when there's business development. And mm -hmm. I think our failing collectively is that we ask people to come with their ideas already fashioned and their business plans already crafted. And, you know, I think the public sector folks and the people in the private sector that care about business development could go a little farther, closer to the source, to the people that have the ideas and help them. So your listeners, if they have an idea, I would encourage them to be serious about it and follow it up. And then the seek out organizations like ours, which will listen and do what we can to help advance your idea. I think 
something that I've always thought about that's influenced the way I view things is that uh, that challenge of John F. Kennedy made when he was talking about going to the moon. And he said, we're going to do this because it's hard. This is not easy work. It requires a lot of things to sync up and requires someone to care about them syncing up. And there's like a Goldilocks mix, you know, of leadership that's required and resources and just in time thoughts. And we're not organized that way, uh, but we can be. And there's willingness to do that in the Arizona district. So I have a lot of optimism and hope about it that this work that we're doing now is going to cascade and yield great benefits that I can't predict at this moment. Beautifully said. And, and you know, what I'm hearing, too, is, is that there's the opportunity not only to have the actual outcome associated with such an alliance, with such an initiative, but, but there's an emblematic value. Again, the idea of connecting all these dots to rally all these resources around a common vision is applicable to so many things. And I think the world demands that of us now. And I think the situation in the world is necessitating us to be able to think in that fashion, to continue to think big, to continue to stretch our ideas into reality by collaborating together. Um, and that's a, a beautiful collateral benefit of this. Thanks again, Stuart. Really appreciate it. We've been listening to Dr. Stuart Mendel. Stuart, thanks so much for being on the show. Sure. Thank you. As we know, things are changing, but the speed of the change is what's changing. It's incredible. And the speed of connectivity is key for successful development projects like an Aerotropolis. This is a multifaceted collaboration that's necessary, a public-private multidisciplinary approach. Many things have to line up just right. We need accurate information and conditions to make such an approach suitable. This is not just about one region or another or one development project or another. It's global and even into space. The successful implementation of an Aerotropolis even relates to our exploration to Mars. But this isn't just about placemaking and day in a life. The business applications here and relevance is significant. It's not just about placemaking and day in a life, but about business, innovation, tech transfer, and economic development. How can we all play a part? Stewart challenges us to do our own thing. And at the base of this is entrepreneurship at the end of the day. He challenges us to all express our creative energies and even start a business. I'm Craig James, your host, and you've been listening to Big Audacious Idea, the show that invites you to think big. Let us know what you think about our chat with Stuart by tweeting me at cjamescatstrat. And if you enjoyed today's discussion, please rate and review us in your podcast app. It really helps. Big Audacious Idea is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Learn more about our podcasts at evergreenpodcasts.com. I'd like to thank our producer and audio engineer, William Pritz, production director, Bridget Coyne, and my co-executive producer, Michael D'Aloya. Thanks for listening. And next time, don't just think audacious, be audacious. My name is Cindy Burnett, and each week I interview at least two traditionally published authors on my podcast, Thoughts from a Page. We talk spoiler-free about their books, so you can listen whether you have read the book or not. And then we delve into things that you most likely won't hear about anywhere else. The importance of the cover design, 
why they included various aspects of the story, personal details about both the books and the authors' lives, and so much more. You can find the podcast on every major platform and learn more about it on my website, thoughtsfromapage.com. Thanks so much for checking it out. This podcast was produced with the support of the Ohio Motion Picture Tax Credit and in partnership with the Ohio Development Services Agency.